0: just uh basically today we're talking about about health issues i'm gonna do a series on health issues I'm starting off with pain chronic pain uh and things to think about before going into surgery for general uh, general anesthesia mm-hmm. so uh how if you're okay just introducing yourself
1: yeah so um as all of you know my name is sam Monello and uh I actually, um, did my medical school in Nigeria. I went to, uh, World War University later and I subsequently, you know, migrated to the U.S. Um, in 2012, I have spent a few time, you know, I've spent a few years doing, um, a resident surgery before, um, transitioning to anesthesia. I also have a subspecialty in acute, uh, regional pain and, um, it is a very big honor um that i'm being asked to uh, talk about chronic pain i personally i presently um work at the university of maryland as one of the um, faculty members and um, deal with a lot of uh, the residents over there um, managing um, patients with um, perioperative pain so
0: um is a big issue here in the state but i i, I... I um I was wondering if you could give like uh, a general overview of what chronic pain is and things that typically lead to people having this and how it affects their them you know you know mentally physically functionally and how that also affects um their um their, their way of life and their quality of life and also their financial status, I think it has a lot of effects generally in in people's life. Just just a general overview of what it is and how it affects people in general.
1: All right. right, Thanks for that um, question. So um, just to start, chronic pain, um, by definition, is typically um, any form of discomfort that has to um, linger over um, three months. So... There are some people who actually um, define acute pain as any pain, which is usually from when in a car to less than two weeks. Then some people, you know, stretch that definition from a- about a month. But there's a period where some people call it the acute to chronic pain, which typically lasts between um, six weeks to 12 weeks. So... You have that transition period whereby people can still deal with pain, but it hasn't actually um, translated to something that's gonna be um perpetually um uncomfortable. So chronic pain, you know, in all intents and purposes is usually pain that actually uh, lingers um after three months from the of injury. There are multiple reasons why um this is the case. There are chronic pain um that do emanate from post-surgery. Say, for example, someone who had um, an orthopedic injury, and then why they were actually trying to uh, fix their orthopedic injury, the nick a nerve. Given some um, general surgical procedures, like a hernia repair, and they um, click some of the nerves that are around the groin, um, that also can lead you to chronic pain. Um, in some cases, um, Chronic pain um, also starts from an injury that occurs. So there is something you call the um, CPRS, which is chronic um, regional pain syndrome. And that actually um, is when someone has actually sustained an injury. And then in the process of that injury occurring, it does um, on some of the nerves that actually uh, supplies that part of the body. Um, age is another risk factor for, um, chronic pain to happen, especially if you, um, think about some of our mothers, um, who have, um, arthritis, um, some people who have, um, back pain too, that's, um, another reason why, um, you can have, um, chronic pain. So it's, um, very, in a nutshell, it's a multi, um, factorial, um, Cause of the um, condition, um, chronic pain definitely is something that is very, very, very uh, disabling. There are a lot of people that are there are a lot of people that are going to be um, very, very uncomfortable um, for a very large uh, for a very large proportion of their life. And what do I mean by that? Um, they are constantly in pain and they are not able to get any respite, no matter um, how much um, intervention that they try to um, get. And these people um, more often than not are very miserable. They are, I mean, they have very many um, symptoms related to it. Um, Some become very depressed, some become very anxious, some become very um, angry. Um, but there are multiple ways that we can actually um, address this. Um, in our clients, you know, here in the US, it's a lot different than in Nigeria. In Nigeria, um, my my understanding and my experience there is that we have a higher threshold to pain. And I can give you a very classical example. It's just like labor pain. Um, most women in Nigeria very rarely um, have an epidural for pain management. But here, it's more like a given. Everybody gets an epidural, and you can't. Is is that just because of access? Yes, so one of it is access, two is also orientation, and three is um, the outcomes that come out from it. So I remember um, when I was a medical student, it used to be so funny that whenever you see any woman who is in labor and yell it and refusing any male doctor, she hasn't really gotten into um, labor pain yet. When they now start calling for anybody to come in, then you know the pain has really kicked in. But you know, like you mentioned, the main things: uh, one, access; two, um the costs. Um, having to um, treat someone with an epidural um, during labor is not cheap, and uh, we have. Um, a out of pocket payer system in Nigeria, as opposed to here in the u s whereby uh, most people um have an insurance and um there's a you know, I don't know a more universal um payer system, so that's pretty much the uh, main basis so going back to what I was saying um we have a higher paying um, management and threshold here in the u um, s most people even when they actually are supposed to get um a procedure that should be painful, they do not want to have any pain at all. And one of the reasons um, that is the case here is that the uh, Joint Commission, which is basically like um, a, you know, it's it's more like the, it's a subset of the Federal Ministry of Health, which you think about Mm -hmm. in Nigeria, has actually made pain to be a, um, a fifth vital sign. So vital signs are like, you know, the different parameters that you monitor in a person when they actually have had surgery. So you want to measure what their heart rate is, how many times they breathe, um, what their blood pressure is, and what the level of oxygen in their blood is. So that's uh, pretty much what we call the vital side. So they added, actually added um, pain to be one of it, which is the fifth one, whereby you have to talk to the patient and make them feel very comfortable after surgery. And this has actually uh, made a lot of things um, go down the drain and one of that has actually led to the uh belief that people should never have pain but the best way to manage pain is to actually have a um unexpected um gauge expectation what do i mean by that is that you should not be um saying that you will never have a pain at all you could have you know pain, but it should be pain that is tolerable and gets better over time. And that's actually a better way of uh, managing um, chronic pain. Um, Another um, aspect of management of chronic pain that has actually changed over time is that um, unfortunately, where you have um, money involved, um, a lot of people do some unscrupulous things. So, for example, um, like in back surgery, um, it's been known that 90 to 80 to 90% of back surgeries never fix pain. But because there's a lot of um, money and um, dynamics involved with that, almost everybody gets to um, have a knife with back pain uh, for surgery. So the way to go about that is that there are some back pains that, or any extremity pain that should be fixed. As long as you're not having any weakness, in your um hands or your leg, which typically they call myelopathy, or you do not have any shooting pain, which most likely means that there is a nerve that is being pinched by the bones in your back, then you can actually get surgery for that. Those ones are actually considered to be the anatomical um ways of managing pain you definitely would need to go to a orthopedic surgeon or a chronic pain specialist who would you know run a few um examinations and tests to um make that diagnosis for you and there are also other parts of um, pain management which includes physical therapy can be very helpful um psychological therapy and the reason why i say psychological therapy is because sometimes um some injuries and some pain syndromes cannot be fixed. You can only manage it. And what I call it is, I I typically have a nuance for that. You know, you just have to celebrate your little victory. So if you're somebody who, because of your injury or your medical condition is in constant pain, and you're always like saying, this pain is the worst pain of my life. Mm -hmm. But you now get an intervention that helps you say, you know what? I can stay without pain for like two hours a day or three hours a day. And this may include you having to take some medication. This may include you having to go for physical therapy. Or this may include you having to um, position your mind or do things that actually make you happy. Those are like the little victories and you can walk your way um, down from that. So that's another way for you to uh, manage the pain. And ultimately, if it's something that actually needs you to get such with You know, by all means, um, you should get surgery. But I would always advise people to be sure that, you know, um, whatever your pain condition is, it has to be something that surgical procedure can take. There is actually a new um, modality that they do now. They call that neuromodulation. But that basically involves putting in some um, devices that would help you um, have some distracting um, phenomenon. Um we call them um nerve stimulators. some of them you put in the spine, others you put in the um others you put in the you know in your extremities and it does help build in um some of the endorphins uh which your body already produces, which helps you uh, manage pain but um in a, in summary, you know there are a few um causes of pain um uh, many of them can come after surgery from injuries. Um, Another thing is that pain that is over three months is usually um, considered to be chronic pain. Um, there are multiple um, management modalities, which means there are various ways you can actually uh, take care of pain, which includes um, the four Ps. You have physical therapy, you have prescription with a medication, you have procedures, and then you have psychotherapy, which helps you um, manage um, the cognitive aspect of
0: pain. And that's great. That's the great explanation in 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 our own setting. Say we we look back on low to middle income countries where people don't have uh, access to resources. I think the one thing that people will want to know is what kind of pain should I be really worried about and if if I'm worried about that kind of pain, what what expectations should I have when I go to see a physician? Um, what test would you want them to run, say I have chest pain or I have back pain that's not going away and has all these other symptoms that some stuff we call red flag sim- symptoms what, what What are those things that people should worry about? And how do they access care for that? What, yeah. they, what should they ask for when they access care?
1: So, um, personally, an acute pain is what is most um, worrisome. Pain that just starts out of the blue. You know, definitely you want to go and um, check that out. You know, it's just pain, definitely. It's not like, a, you know, as long as you didn't have any, um Injury to your chest, like someone punched you or you just um, went through a road traffic accident and you hit your chest on the uh, the steering wheel or your dashboard. Um, Those kind of pain, you know, obviously you should go to the hospital because, you know, you may have like a little bruise on your heart or your lung. Um, Definitely that you need to go and have it checked. But if you had chronic pain, say you had chronic atritic pain or you had chronic back pain or you had chronic shoulder pain, um, what should be a red flag for you is that if you now have some kind of a weakness or inability to use um, your arms or you are unable to do many of the activities that you were you know, used to doing before now, then you definitely need to have to go talk to uh, a doctor. Um, a few of the tests that you can actually um, check depending on uh, what you should do. Um, because of very limited resources in um, back home in Nigeria and also the cost costification, uh, a few things you can do is, um, one, you can just start, first of all, with just a plain uh, apilarial x-ray. That would definitely um, help for a start, but unfortunately, that's the cheapest, uh, most um, available, but it's not going to give you um, very much information. Then you can actually um, get a CT scan. The CT scan is definitely going to show you what the bony um, structure is and if there's any um, osteoartritic changes in um, the bone. Um, that is definitely one that you should do. You should also uh, make sure you talk to them to use a contrast. But first of all, they need to uh, run some tests, uh, which basically is called um, a BMP, which is the Basic Metabolic Profile, just to make sure that your kidneys are working very well, because the contrasts uh, are notorious to um, causing the kidneys to um, act um, differently, um, you know, possibly have, like, an acute renal um, impairment. Um, then, if that, after you have done a CT and it still doesn't give all the information that is needed, um, the last one is the MRI. And the MRI will now show you what the soft tissues are and basically what, you know, if there's any more, um, fine detail for nerve uh, impairment. Um, like you say, you know, there are some red flags, but again, there are also some red hair. So sometimes, um, chronic pain also could come from metastatic disease. So you need to do what you call the C-reactive protein, um, just to make sure there is no inflammatory, uh, uh, mediators out there. And also, um, sometimes they might tell you, to do a full bone scan. Just to make sure there are no um, osteolytic lesions or osteoblastic lesion. Uh, we're getting into that stage whereby a few of us, you know, I mean, it's not it's not uncommon, but just the you know very handful um, of folks that get into that stage whereby you know prostate cancer is you know rearing its head. And if you guys remember, um, Chadwick, was well, Chadwick died of colon cancer. He had his diagnosis when he was like 39. And, um, you know, he passed in, oh, at 43. Um, so these are a few cancers, you know, uh, for the women you have um, the ovarian cancer. And also, um, you can also have the uterine cancer. So those are a few um, cancers that actually do spread notoriously to the um, bone. Um, a very, very, very... Unusual cancer, rather it actually spreads it's if you have um, a renal, I'm uh, um, sorry, a hepatic impairment, which is if your um, uh, your liver has um, cancer, um, mm-hmm. then that also, you know, can spread to the um, bone. But again, the liver the liver is also another um, organ that, you know, cancers
0: oftentimes um, find as a safe haven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just to chime in here too, just for women also, breast cancer is also notorious for going to the spine. Um, yeah. And um, uh, to chime in from 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 infectious diseases, we're we're in a low to middle income country, so we're prone to we, well, we we are more exposed to TB. So there is TB of the spine, and some people don't know they have it until very late in the, in the game. So, this process, yeah, yeah. that's something to keep an eye on if you're having pain in your back with weight loss, low appetite, fever, night sweats, all those kind of other symptoms that don't make sense with the pain. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think, think, And to add to what um, to, add to what
1: has said, um, one of the good things about, uh, well, I wouldn't say it's a good thing. One of the things about TV is that it's very unlikely that people of our age will come down to it because we're young and healthy. And it's also um, people who are severely malnourished and people who are incarcerated. So in a nutshell, you have to be severely, you know, compromised for all of these to, you know, raise head. You don't typically see it in, you
0: know, in the you know, competent young people. Yeah it's, yeah, it's more typical in older people. Um, yeah. But I think some people don't recognize it until very late in the game. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. And there, those are things that... Uh, but... Um, mm-hmm. The 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 I think the issue for most people is all is um is early diagnosis of these things that are 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 life threatening, and um you know you know the modalities to to help them diagnose it, and you 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 brought up a few things that we can we can use in low to middle income countries. Um, is there anything you want to add to that? Because I think. The challenge for most people is, okay, I have back pain, I have chronic pain. Number one, what do I, how do I know what's going on? We get an x-ray, we get a CT scan. Maybe if I'm lucky and I have money, I can pay for an MRI. Okay, I find out what's going on. Who do I go to see? You know, and when I go to see that person, what kind of pain medications or what kind of pain interventions can they give me to help? Depending on what the source of the pain is. If I'm able to take care of the issue by surgery, fine. If not, What other things can you offer from a medical perspective, not without surgical intervention, in low to middle income countries, especially? From your
1: experience. So from my experience what I know, in low to middle income countries, uh, one of the good things that we have is psychotherapy. So we have a very communal um, system whereby, you know, you have family members, you have friends and, um, you know, co-workers that you can always talk to. It's not something that is very, very prevalent um, here in um, the U.S. and other Western places. I mean, people literally pay um, to have um, therapy about things they can actually talk to. Um, I hate to add this part, not that I'm you know not religious, but um, the pastors are also people who can um, help in this aspect um just from the counseling aspect not that they will pray for you and everything goes away that doesn't happen <laughs> but you know they can cancel you they can you know give you some words of encouragement you know that definitely uh, does help um most times um the panadol that we take which is basically um you know acetaminophen it's a very very good drug um, but we just have to be careful because a lot of people abuse it and you know ultimately can actually affect your kidneys um ibuprofen you know one another one um we often use celebrex um, or porozicam um, um those are NSAIDs are very good but again with NSAIDs um there's the uh, likelihood and the possibility that you can actually uh cause a lot of um damage to your kidneys so you need to pretty much um, stick with your um, doctor to see which one works. I know over here in the US, everybody believes that opioids be, be all to fix pain, but there's um, something with the ceiling effect of opioids. At a certain dose, um, you do no, you no more get any uh, pain benefit from it. So what it does the, to you is that it goes to your central nervous system and your brain and clouds
0: everything out and all you just before before we get into the opioids can you kind of explain what kind of drugs are opioids because some people might not know. okay, okay. so um, opioid you have um thamadol it's a very very weak opioid
1: which is the one that we use very much at home uh we have pentazocin down and comes iv um, I don't know if I can remember, but I have to check, but oxycodone is one that you can get, um, through your mouth, um, PO, and then you can also, um, have, um, um, Percocet. It's an opioid mixed with, um, uh, Tylenol. So those are the few, um, opioid medications that you have and, I uh, have actually, uh, heard a few of she my um relatives, you know, go get that um procured in the pharmacies. The my downside uncle, is that uh, my uncle sent me a picture of one that he got, coco damo. Yeah. So that's basically um I think that's um coco damo. I have to double check, but I want to say that. Okay, okay yeah.
0: So that's that that's um that's that's Pegoset. Yeah, I might be wrong, but Coding and either coding and parastamol or trauma and parostamol. I don't know. They just yeah, I mean, the co- they're coding and parastamol. So that's
1: that that um uh, that so there's a the coding aspect is the is the opioid aspect. The parastamol is fine. But you know, um the 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 bad part about it is that uh we we don't regulate it very well in Nigeria on like here, yeah, you can't get an opioid you know besides you being prescribed it by a physician because you need your DEA license for that, but back mm-hmm. online in Nigeria, you can always go to the pharmacy and ask them for it, and it does have um, the effect of you being dependent and um, get tolerance to it, and what I mean by tolerance to it is that you start requiring higher and higher dose for you to be able to get the same effect that you were getting in the past. So, um, summarily what you need to do if your pain is getting worse and you're not getting good um, relief, you need to go back to your doctor and find out you know, if anything has changed um, from the prior uh, diagnosis that you had. And that way they can help you you know address it rather uh-huh. than you just on your own escalating your doses, which may ultimately yes.
0: you know lead you to a lot of um complications down the road, yeah, yeah, and also maybe not necessarily chronic illness or chronic or chronic illness leading to pain. I try this more commonly with our older uh, individuals at home, but younger folks might have experienced trauma um like you've mentioned and I, I don't have the statistics right in front of me but i will not be surprised if trauma is one of the leading causes of chronic pain in nigeria or in low, low to middle income countries um is there a different approach to that you know like, like road traffic accidents after you've been treated and had surgery or some kind of fall or you know some kind of direct trauma um is there is there a different approach to managing those patients?
1: Mm, no, unfortunately, you know, acute trauma is acute trauma. Um, there's nothing anybody can do. Um, the best part of ac- trauma pain is managing it accurately would help prevent a lot of um, the sequelae that comes with chronic pain. So um, peripheral nerve blocks, which is pretty much, you know, um, what I do does go a long way in helping you to preclude that um, transition for you to now start having um, most of the chronic pain. So if you can, which I, I, I haven't really thought about any um, large trauma center. The one I actually have, you know, read a few things about is the city crest hospital in um, Abuja. Uh, yeah. They, have a very very um, robust you know um, trauma care there, but um, the anesthesiologist that I did talk to a few times, um, I was impressed with because of um, the modalities that they have. But again, that place is going to cost an arm and a leg on average, you know, Nigeria. So I, I wouldn't want to use that as a yardstick for you know the you know regular person, but. Um, for intent and purpose for this, you know, podcast, uh, what you can do, you know, if someone has a leg fracture, you can do an epidural to help with that. You can do some nerve blocks around the um chest wall that can help with that. If you have a limb injury, you can do a nerve block to help block, you know, the pain receptors. And the whole idea is this, you know, if you are able to block the um Receptors and the sensation that you know transmits pain from that injured extremity to your brain. You do not sensitize your brain about that pain, and ultimately, once all of that um, acute injury process, you know, does resolve, which most times in trauma, you know, it takes about one to two weeks for everything to quiet. In. if it's due, if it's due to surgery, it's about seventy two to um, ninety six hours. If you can quieten those pain receptors to get your brain, you are able to manage um, most of that um, pain um, that would occur in the future. But um, in, a, in, in all intent and purposes, um, acute pain management for trauma is what you need for you to prevent yourself from having chronic pain which we are not there yet, you know, with our um, trauma care in Nigeria. At least, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, the folks that are still practicing in Nigeria can um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't um, seen a very robust um, trauma care management as, soon as it relates to acute um, pain in Nigeria, you know. It
0: is, it is kind of unfortunate. Um, yeah, and um, I don't know if if there are ac- there is access in other countries around Nigeria, like Ghana, and 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 and, and um, I don't know why that countries will be far ahead in that area. Um, but most people live with this pain for a lot of their life, and it re- it reduces their quality of care, uh, quality of life. I'm sorry, quality of life. Well, yeah. Like yeah, the, the yeah the, the,
1: the quality of life of someone with chronic pain, a be small. Yeah, to say the least.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if we have access to you know pain uh pain medications that help with nerve pain in Nigeria. Uh, what what kind of medications would people be looking at for that? Yeah, so we do we do have um some of um
1: the um, pain medications. So we're very uh, we're very big on uh, ointment, topical ointments. Um that has a um, um then um the i don't know the English name of oi, but that also does help a lot you know it has some kind of um that helps um on nerves. Um, I was talking to know yeah. like oi is o r i it actually um it's one of these um shea butter yeah shea butter yeah. yeah. Shea Butter um, does. I was talking to one of my colleagues. I, I'm we need to actually uh, do a study on these um, cream on how it does um, act. I, I want to say it's more like a Kapaskan cream, which is basically um, one of the um, pain um, uh, modulators. Um, but it's, it's still we, it's something we haven't really figured out yet. But it does definitely help with um, soothing um, pain. And we've also talked about, you know, the ibuprofen, the um, uh, which are the NSAIDs, which is non anti-inflammatory drugs. And um, what I would really have loved for us to be able to have is um, looking for a few tablets of magnesium, but I don't know if that is um, obtainable. Um, because magnesium does help um, manage chronic pain and it doesn't have any uh, dependent effects. And definitely, you know, um, there are many of the um cocodol, which is the, the codeine or the um, tramadol that does um, help significantly uh, with pain management. But, um, like I said before, if you have pain and say you were taking say a tablet of coconut ball and now you're requiring two for you to be able to get the same relief that you used to get. I would suggest you go back to your um in doctor so that you guys can reevaluate and see what is going on because whatever may be happening has um, uh, taken a different trajectory, and you guys may have to um do something um different um I know a few uh, people who do um, some chronic pain service. Like this, um, there is this um, hospital, Niko'i. It's a center for advanced surgery um, services. Um, Mm -hmm. They have a chronic pain doctor that comes in there. Actually, it's one of my cousins that actually uh, comes there um, to do cases. So he actually stacks his patients uh, over a three-month period and they come, do procedures, and all of the procedures that you get, you know, if you're here in the U.S. And they, you know, rotate himself and a few other um, folks, um, just come in a two-month or three-month basis to uh, see people. I know about um, that clinic for um, management of chronic pain, but, you know, their um, services are you know, pretty much on the high side. Um, for an average procedure, they might charge you for more 600 to $700, um, which you may need to um, go back after three to um, get a, you know, follow-up or another procedure done um, for that. But I don't think he has started placing any of all those neuromodulators yet, because those are a lot more expensive. But, like, say if he wants someone like a nerve injection or a steroid injection, you know, he can always do that. They do it on the uh, fluoroscopy, which is basically an X-ray that you can shoot um, in real time for you to be able to see what's happening. Yeah, that's uh, $700 as that, you well.
0: Know, that's not cheap. Even folks who seek insurance to have a, a small coup with a $700 procedure and a us up folks in Nigeria with the way things are right now. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I think uh, another group of people that I think might be important for them to know, especially for, for us. And maybe our parents are, are diabetics that have, um, uh, neuropathy, uh, neuropathy, meaning this burning continuous pain in the, in the extremities. is kind of like in the finger, finger glove, uh, pattern and socks um, sucking pattern. So it's from the feet up to the mid leg or mid chain, And some people, they have it in their hand, like a glove pattern. So like how you wear a glove. Um, so those, that kind of pain, um, uh, here in, in the U S we have things that we can try, like Gapapentin, I don't know if, yeah. there, if we have access to those kind of things in Nigeria. And if there are other modalities like interventions that can help with that.
1: Yeah. So um, it's good you actually mentioned that because that actually, yeah, I mean, I skipped all of that. Yeah, so definitely peripheral neuropathy is the pain, you know, it's the shooting, pain-like pain. Um, very, very common with um, diabetics. You also have it in some people who have, um, you know, trauma pain, post-amputation. And like you rightly mentioned, gabapentin is something that is going, that is very, very useful in managing those kind of pain. Um, then there's another medication we have called pregabalin, but it takes about two to three weeks for it to work. Um, another medication that they use is, um, some medication that they use for depression, which is the, um, serotonin or epinephrine, you know, like, um, Symbalter. Those ones, um, are very, very useful, um, for peripheral neuropathy, um, ultimately. So um you take about thirty milligrams of that. That I know is in Nigeria. Um not just the serotonin, selective serotonin in a picking of, people usually confuse that. Um like the paroxetine, uh, uh paxitel, but simbolta it has to be the either cymbolta, which is the or um uh, or neo, Neonacept, but they have to be, you know, blocking um, the serotonin and noropidemphrine uh, because it does help in the whole cascade of uh, how you perceive pain and improve your mood. So, it's the chemical um, psychotherapy Ultimately, uh, It's how they actually um, perform the action. You also have some muscle relaxants, you know, like thudanidine and uh, and uh, metacarbamol. Uh, I'm pretty sure we have those two in Nigeria, whereby they help um, quieting most of the muscles that um, may be pulling down on the um, bones and the tissues that will be giving um, one pretty much um, discomfort. Those also are there. And uh, most of all these medications are, are available in Nigeria. The only issue is, you know, um costs and um, having to get one that is really, I wouldn't say um, authentic because some of them are actually um I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say fa- I I don't want to use the word fabricated, but the active ingredients are not as um, genuine or in the right quantity as they should be which, you know, it's been working in the past, but, um these medications definitely does help, uh, with pain management. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: And coming back to one point that you made, um, about, um, you know, people in low to middle income country, specifically Nigeria and countries around in Africa, having a higher threshold to, to, to pain. Is it born of the fact that. Is it a true increased threshold to pain or just the fact that you know folks are aware that or are not aware of what can be used to control pain specifically speaking about um, um women um giving birth during labor um so because <laughs> i can't i can tell you yeah you know and maybe you've experienced this too <laughs> you know uh, you know if you are in the room um, with your wife at the time of delivery, you, you, you can, you, you, you know, you, you you see what the person is experiencing. And if, if they don't have access to, uh, something that can help them for pain, um, is that saying that it's because they have a higher threshold, is that kind of like, is that true or, or, or a pseudo belief that we have?
1: So so it's multifactorial Um, in life. Everything is all about the environment that you live, you know? Um, And I tell people that um, my, I I use sometimes my kids to be like an example. They don't believe that you can, you you have to eat every four hours. You have to eat something. But we weren't born and raised like that because, you know, you, you barely, you get your meal and that's it. But if you know and anticipate that this thing is available, then you know your expectations are a lot higher. so it's not that they have a a higher um pain threshold, but it's just that that whole idea that there's nothing we can do about this, and you know we just have to you know write it out you know, and then they have also um employed what we call the psychotherapy aspect of it. you already have been prepped. you know your Aunties have told you what's going to happen. Your um mom has, you know, given you, you know, pep talk. Um, your friends, you know, a little that are a little older, or you just had a baby, have told you um, this is what is going to happen, you know, it all gets um better. So, um, and again, it's also part of individuals. Even here in the US, there's some people who have a better um pain threshold than others. Some people can tolerate, you know, a lot more pain than um the rest. I remember when I was a house officer in, you know, in UNTH, um, when we were doing episiotomies back then, nobody gives anybody local anesthetic. I mean, wow. if you just yeah, i I still tell my colleague there, like, you know, we're very, very savage back then. If you just go there and you tell the woman to, you know, um be still and you try to put in your needle to fix the episiotomy and she, you know, tries to move around you just leave her and go to the next person you know oh. and then you're not going to come back to her but here it's not it's more like i mean it's malpractice for you to try to repair someone's epithetomy without adequate pain medication i mean they already have an epidural which makes it a lot better but even with the epidural you still have to use local anesthetic to numb up the plate so limited now that's story i thought one is availability you know there's access to they've already have you know you've been prepped and you've been um you know cancelled and told that you know um, this is what you're going to have to pass through and this is what you need to do
0: yeah, there's um there's a study that i looked up yesterday and i was looking at it and it's, it's it shows that you know um women that get epidural or have good pain management during during delivery tend to be Less um, prone to postpartum depression and baby blues and psychosis, um, but given that you know you can only work with what you have, um, I think it's it's something to have in mind for you know for those supporting them and and the men around the house to, to take into consideration that there is a chance that you know even though you know people are mostly prepared for this knowing that this is the situation, and that they are at higher risk of something that we do not see physically, which is postpartum depression and psychosis and blues.
1: Yeah, but again, when you, I'm sure that study was done over here, um, which because yeah. they don't, one of the, one of the downsides of here is that, you know, people don't have um good um, support network, you know, back home in Nigeria, when a woman is pregnant, you expect that at least you know, your mother is there or, you know, your mother-in-law is coming or your sister-in-law is coming. Right. So there's a lot of people, you know, you have a lot of help, yeah. you know, um, and he can trying to can manage, yeah, trying to manage all of that. So it's not going to be uncommon that um, you would have, you know, better endorphins, which, is, which are some of those hormones that helps you make you feel good and happy. It's only you and you, you know, Yeah. I
0: mean, the pain is, the pain is not, the pain is definitely, um, uncomfortable. You make a good point there that, you know, after, after delivery, you have a whole host of people that are around to help you with, with everything. Whilst Mm -hmm. here in the U.S., you're, you're, you're with the baby until the very day that you give birth, Mm working in a lot of places. And then after that, you're, you're back to working, like, I don't know, depending on where you are, maybe two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I, I thought we could talk about is, um, is general anesthesia, um, for people going into surgery. Um, what things do people need to know and prepare for prior to, to, to just the general anesthesia part? Because I don't think people think a lot about it and what effects can it have?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, general anesthesia oftentimes, um, it's something that, you know, it's used prevalently um, everywhere in the world. It's actually become a lot safer now than it used to be in the past um, because they, in the 90s, they were able to get what we call the pulse ox and that pulse ox basically measures uh, what your oxygen concentration eat um, every second. So that has significantly helped um, us on a sociologist know when a patient is not having um, good concentration of oxygen so um we, we we always make a joke now that you know general anesthesia is a lot safer um than you walking across the street and getting hit by a car in the u.s you know it's that is that very uncommon for you to have um, any bad um, outcomes however uh, there are a few things that can actually go on you need to um the expectant that, yes, if you're going for gymnastics, is you need to uh, speak to your um, surgeon or your nurse to tell you about um, what are the expectations? Um, are they going to achieve down your What kind of medications are they going to have? If you have any allergies, you have to make sure you uh, mention them. And one of the very common ones are the allergies to antibiotics. So if you are going to uh, have any of these penicillin allergies, there's some little cross-reactivity to the cephalosporins, which is um, the answer, what they use. However, you can um, easily um, get a substitute. So that's something you need to tell them. Um, then what pain modalities are they going to be able to offer you uh, for pain management? Um, you want to um, speak to them you know, in that regard. Um, if you body all the other technicalities that, you know, depending on what type of surgery they are doing, what test what test needs to be done. Um, if it's a surgery that is going to require a lot of bleeding, you want to make sure, you know, you make plans for um blood um that is going to be available for them to give to you. Um, you really want them to pack and cross-match your blood. Um, some people actually um, do what you call, um, you can go donate one or two units of your blood before the um, surgery, and then if you need it, they'll give it back to you. Um, or you can also have them um, take some of their blood out just shortly before the procedure and give you some fluid to um, increase back the amount of blood that was taken. So what it saves is that it saves all of your blood contents um for you so that when they start cutting you and they finish you bleed, you're going to be bleeding, you know, a diluted blood. Um for, you know, most um procedures, I mean for folks who are about our age, you just need maybe, you know, at best, a uh, EKG, um, just to make sure you have some good heart reading. But if you don't have high blood pressure, you don't have diabetes. And if you don't have any um coronary artery disease, basically means that um a few of the arteries to your heart are clogged up, and you're not um, one who has to um, be panting when you leave, walk a flight of stairs. But many of us still have that because we're very much deconditioned. We don't exercise, or we're overweight. Um, that's you know, one of the biggest issues. Um, but besides that, um, we don't need a lot of um, work But if it's for your family member, you know, say a family member who is having to go, say you're going for a very big belly surgery, um, then you want to make sure and ask them that, you know, do they check the person's kidneys because, you know, the medications that they give them are going to be metabolized from the kidneys and they may need to um, be on, well, I don't know about the ICU, but, you know, most times, some of those procedures, you don't uh, wake the people up immediately into the ICU. So you definitely need your kidneys to be working optimally for that. Um, then they might actually need to do what you uh, call a uh, transthoracic echo um, or a cardiac heart, just to make sure that you know their hearts are, you know, beating well and functioning well um, for our older patients, you know, who have all these uh, conditions. And then they would actually need to check what the level of the bodies is, you know. Another one that people do is actually doing what you call the ruptured which basically, you know, do a spinal or an epidural. That also is something that, you know, you can also ask them, Is this, is that an option? Especially if you're doing like a cesarean section, or if you're doing a uh, surgery um, of your, you know, knee or your ankle, um, those are options um, you can ask them, and that ultimately helps you reduce the amount of um, uh, medications that they will give to you. Um, it doesn't put a lot of stress on your heart um, as much as the cesarean and the wound. And definitely want to make sure you tell them, you know, um, or even if it's for your long, ones, they're not, they don't have any bleeding disorder. Because if you knew any of all those procedures and you have a bleeding disorder, you might have a um, blood clot in your back, and then it might mess up your uh, nerves that supplies your leg, and it can, you know, cause very terrible things to happen. You start feeling, you know, weakness in your legs, um, when that happens, but you have to um, put that, you know, at the back of your radar. Um, finally, um, you also want to make sure they don't take any blood thinners. I mean, aspirin is not really um, a big deal, but, you know, if they take, say, something like um, um, Plavix or Abyssin you know, those are like the very, very big blood thinners. But I'm sure a lot of Nigerians have what you call atrial fibrillation. Which basically means is you know um, your heart beating irregularly and there's a dyssynchrony, which means your the top part of your heart is not communicating with the lower part of your heart, and that way they get this irregular um, heartbeat, which would make them be at a high risk of forming a clot. So people like that, they give them you know some of these blood thinners. Uh, those are just the very few things that I can, you know, talk about out of my head, but there are a lot of other, you know, specifics that are out there, um, that we can discuss, um, but it's oftentimes, um, always at least in summary, find out what procedure you're going to get done, what part of the body are they going to be causing and what are the modalities that they actually are going to, uh, using to help keep you comfortable. And um finally, um what would your recovery um be? Because some surgeries you can recover under uh, two days, some other two weeks, some you know you may need some physical therapy to help you with all of that. so it's um, it very very uh, longer protracted uh, and can be very, very uh, unpredictable, but you just take things uh, as they come.
0: Yeah. And and for folks that might not know, if, if they start having post-operative nausea and vomiting, is there something they can ask the doctor to keep them?
1: Oh, yes. They actually, um, some people have a very high risk factor for that. So usually um, women, um, uh-huh. some people who have motion sickness. Um, unfortunately, that's one of the um, beautiful things about being a smoker. Smokers don't typically have it, but I definitely will tell you that smoking causes you a lot more harm than just not having postop nausea and vomiting. So I'll tr- I'd rather take postop nausea and vomiting after smoking. Um, but they every it's a standard they always give you um, anti nausea medication, which is Zofran. But they a few other things they can give you, some metoclopramide, which helps with. Um, Improving the um, way that your body or your um, GI tract actually goes, uh, the motility of it. Um, there's also, um, you could use some um, uh, some of the antihistamine. Like uh, So there are many, many medications that can, they can use. But yes, it's something you would want to um, let your uh, anesthesiologist know that you have a risk factor for that. And there are a few things that you know, they'll do you in the operating room. Sometimes they'll, you, they'll give you less opioid, which is some of all the, the fentanyl and the uh, hydromorphone or morphine that they use. They, they can reduce that and give you uh, more, some other pain medication. And sometimes they can actually also run some background uh, propofol, which is basically a medication that puts you to sleep. I mean, now the medication that uh, Michael Justin was... Uh, Abusing before he died. So, if you ever have to use Pro just make sure that you have a, you have abilities for them to put a tube in your throat. Because if mm-hmm. not, if you stop breathing, you know your your head your your oxygen level is going to go low, and your brain is just going to get
0: fried. Care for these people, chronic pain, people with chronic pain, management of preoperative pain and uh, postoperative complications. we we presume they do, but whether we're handling pain, what kind of things can we do to, you know, facilitate, um, you know, them not having to go through such pain during labor. Yeah,
1: I think um, that question is one that is going to be um, handled in multiple ways. And I say that because I've come to realize that healthcare is not cheap, unfortunately. Um, for you to really get good healthcare, you really need um financial involvement. And unfortunately, that financial involvement doesn't always have to come from the government. Um, you just need an enabling environment. So the first thing I think you need to do, I think before I left Nigeria, there were a few um HMOs that were creeping up there. Huh. Even here in the US, you know, insurance companies are very terrible terrible in the sense that they are in it for profits they're not in it to make the lives of individuals better so what can be done is if we can um build a good um healthcare payer system and that would include having you know private insurances and also um government insurances some government insurances um Oftentimes has to do with you know um how much you're being tasked and how much funding that can be done for that, so first of all, we need you know a way to make payment for that that is the very first thing then number two is we need to um consolidate on what we're good at we're very good at you know psychotherapy and uh, encouraging our ourselves, so we can actually um leverage on that and um have good um communal and peer um, support. Um, But again, we also, I would rather say we should also um, manage expectations. So do not ever, ever um, let anybody know who has pain that, oh, I am going to take away your pain 100%. Anytime I tell my residents, anytime you say that you're lying to me, because you're, you're telling them what you cannot do. So you just need to uh, manage your physician. All you can tell them is that, you know, I can do something that can make your pain better, but um, these are a few options that we can go with. Then for the um, acute and parapetid pain aspect, um, the whole paradigm shift is actually moving into Multimodal and Argesia. And the Multimodal and analgesia I give them an illustration like this. If there were five of us trying to move a truck, it's going to be less likely for any of us to feel the brunt than if we only left it for one person to do the job. And that is the whole idea of multimodal um, pain management. So when you have different classes of medication that can help um, alleviate pain and they work in different receptors, so you have the NSA. The NSA is actually anti-inflammatory. Uh, they actually reduce the inflammatory process that goes on. You have the peripheral nerve block that will reduce the complication of the pain from where the injury is and takes it to the brain. You have your alpha 2 agonist, which is um, your Presidex, that's going to reduce um, how the um, spine um interprets the pain, and also some of it has to do in the brain um, with the modulation. You have your opioids, which is the you know the fentanyl, the hydromorphone, which is more long acting, or the morphine or the codeine. Those actually act in all these core areas um, that I talked about in the extremity, in the spine, in the nerve, and also in the brain. Mm-hmm. And then you have the NMGA receptors, which also acts in the spine and the brain. So we're using all this multi-modal um, effect. You can ultimately give very little amount of each medication, but at the same time, you're not going to give so much that you'd elicit the side effects that can uh, be encountered from you um, using principally one medication, which is what I always talk about, you know, five people trying to drop as opposed to one person. Then finally, for the chronic aspect, uh, um, part of it, chronic aspect, chronic pain is a multi um, modality and a multi um, disciplinary approach. As um, summarized earlier, is always the four P's. You have to do the physical therapy; they have a role to play. You have to do the psychotherapy; they have a role to play. You have to do the um, Prescription, which is the medications. Oftentimes, you have the gabapentinoids, the um, serotonin reuptake inhibitor like Walter and um, you also have the NSAIDs, which you can also kind of take at home. And then you now have the procedures, and the procedures can you know can vary from having you know uh, people who have surgical expertise or people who can actually do, um, you know, um, epidural steroid injections, or people who can do neuromyelations to the back, uh, people who can actually put um, mm-hmm. some of the nest stimulators in the peripheral nerve. So those there are uh, multiple uh, ways to address that part. But ultimately, I think the first thing we need to do is to figure out a way to have a good um, payer system that can actually um, help for us to be able to um, provide these services. And then from there, you can now start talking about, you know, um, building a um, facility because there are, there are facilities back home in Nigeria that can provide some of all the services. But the biggest issue is being able to pay and how accessible are they to you? But once that is being addressed, a lot of other things will take, you know, a ripple effect and it will just be uh um, very, very seamless. Yeah. Yes. Hopefully we got on the
0: one yeah. Yeah. Well thank you so much, Sami, uh, for taking the time today to you know educate us on chronic pain and um, stay um hopefully this has been helpful and you know, hopefully folks will take some information here, maybe help somebody and uh if if anyone has a question, can they reach out to you? Yeah yeah have, have yeah WhatsApp, right? Yeah. So um
1: it, it's always a pleasure, you know, to um speak to um folks and also, you know, giving my like, two cents. But yes, um, any more questions, any concerns, I mean you can always reach me on WhatsApp. Uh, my number is two two four three six zero zero six zero and they can always um, ask any questions. And um, this, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's not something we can, you know, cover in an hour, um, but it's definitely something that's gonna be ongoing. And if anybody thinks about anything, you know, we can um, hash things out. Yes, sir. All right, man, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me.